This episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast is supported by the Kyle Pease Foundation because together we wheel. The Kyle Pease Foundation has been empowering disabled athletes through endurance sports since 2011. I love Brent and Kyle Pease. They are fantastic. If you haven't heard the episode with them, it's episode four, please have a listen. If you want to learn more or to make a donation, please visit kylepeacefoundation.org. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. In today's episode, we interview Dr. Anthony J. Dr. Anthony J. is the author of the book, Estrogeneration, and has a riveting episode about what estrogenics are and why they are making us fat, sick, and infertile. Enjoy the show. I have a great guest today, Dr. Anthony J., who is the author of Estrogeneration, How Estrogenics Are Making You Fat, Sick, and Infertile. Welcome. I'm so Thanks glad for you're having here. me. This is fun. Yes. So yeah. you are a PhD in biochemistry from Boston University and the CEO yep. of AJ Consulting, which is a per- you do personalized DNA analysis. That's fascinating. That's right. Yeah, I did it for myself and uh, for my family, and I started doing it for my extended family and my friends, and it just it kind of grew from there. So even though I don't have a lot of time, I, I end up doing it quite a bit, yeah. That's really cool. Okay, so let's talk about your book a little bit, and let's talk about estrogenetics. What in the world is an estrogenetic? Yeah, so anything that binds the estrogen receptor, which I'll explain in a second, I guess, because it's another term, but anything that binds the estrogen receptor qualifies as an estrogenic. Uh, so essentially, we've got these, you know, let me give you an example with leptin, because a lot of people have heard leptin, Yeah. and, yeah. It's, and, and then I'll, I'll turn it around and come back to estrogen. So when you eat uh, your fat cells secrete a hormone into your blood called leptin. And that actually is one of the reasons we consider fat cells endocrine organs because they secrete hormones like leptin. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, this, you've got this hormone coursing through your blood called leptin, and most of your body does not have leptin receptors. So it just kind of goes in, you know, it goes into your muscles, goes out, whatever. But then when it gets into your brain, you've got little receptors in there that pick it up, that connect to it, and then it tells your brain that you're full. Stop mm-hmm. eating. So in other words, you know, leptin, that's how the leptin system works. And to go back to estrogen, you know, it's the same type of thing, except the interesting aspect about estrogen is we've got estrogen receptors all through our body, right? So it's in our fat cells, in our brain, you know, in our muscles, etc. And so when you've got natural or artificial estrogen, which is kind of my main focus, the artificial estrogen, it goes through your blood and it has all kinds of health problems if you disrupt that system. Okay, so you you say in the intro to your book that our our trust in the current political and medical system seems to be diminishing along with our testosterone, our muscle mass and our fertility. And oh. you point to estrogenetics as the main problem. Yeah, it's definitely a a huge problem and I can tell you why. It's because you know your natural estrogen level is probably around 400 nanograms per liter. And I mean, natural estrogen and mm-hmm. mine as a man is probably around 20 most. And in fact, the interesting thing about women is they range between 20 and 400, depending on the time of the month. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's natural estrogen. But when you talk about artificial estrogens, these, these chemicals that we're going to hopefully get, you know, get into and go yeah, over, sure. I certainly go through in my book, uh, we're talking about levels in the thousands and sometimes in the hundreds of thousands of nanograms per liter, the same units, and we're putting them on our skin, we're eating them in our food. And so obviously, you know, we're seeing some health problems. And, you know, if you start looking at these patterns, like breast cancer, like infertility, right, like some of the things that I named in the, in, even just right there in the intro, yeah, allergies, you know, you see uh, that's, they're all on the rise, which is really sad in America because, you know, we consider ourselves this, you know, cutting edge scientific country We're and we're doing a lot of good research, but then at the same time, we're just becoming less and less healthy 
and we're rationalizing a lot of these artificial you know chemicals and kind of telling ourselves that they're acceptable there's certain levels that are acceptable and all this kind of and, and nanograms right nanograms per liter are the units here that's 10 to the minus ninth grams you can barely measure it mm-hmm. i mean you know it's it ha- hasn't been that long historically we've even been able to measure natural estrogen okay. because the levels are just naturally so low because you've got like i say receptors all over your body and it has these pretty dramatic impacts and one of the ways i think about it in terms of the health is is pregnancy Right? Because in pregnancy, natural estrogen levels go up significantly. So, you know, if you think so, in, when you when a woman is pregnant, you, the the body has to be careful with the immune system. So scientists say it's immunostimulative estrogen, natural estrogen, immunostimulative and immunosuppressive. Mm-hmm. Which, right? That's pretty confusing because. You stimulate your immune system to fight off bacteria and infections, but you also suppress your immune system so you don't destroy the baby inside you. But, you know, so that's this fine-tuned balance between suppression and stimulation with natural estrogen. So then when you add these artificial estrogens, yeah, you're going to throw that system off, right? Yeah. Okay, so so let's talk talk about artificial estrogens. So um, what are, like, a list? Do you have a short list of, of these artificial estrogens that you're talking about? I do, and 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 that was one of the big things in my book. I tried to really simplify the science because yeah, there's I'm a, a lot out there, right? I mean, you're trying to set out there the the top ones that we should truly open our eyes to. That's right, and and what so what I did was I I created a top ten list. Okay. And you know, I I mean, it could have been a top fourteen or thirteen, but that right doesn't sound as good. So I kind <laughs> of combined a few and created some categories, but. The most important aspect to me was to simplify the science so normal people can understand it and to look at the ones that we're commonly exposed to, not just, you know, the ones we're obscurely every once in a while exposed to once a year, right? But the things that we're really heavily exposed in America, especially. Okay. So, yeah. So I have the, yeah, the top 10 list. If you want me to just kind of start going through it, I have it, I have a printout right here in front of me. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So. Uh, so the first one on my list is phytoestrogen. So a lot of people know about this. It's plant estrogen. And, you know, you find high levels in soy. You find high levels in uh, flax. And those are basically the two food items. There's a study of, of over 100 food items. And soy and flax were the only ones uh, that were above 1,000 uh, micrograms per 100 gram of the food item. So they looked at these foods for phytoestrogen, plant estrogen. Mm-hmm. And Everything was essentially under 1,000, but flax was above 300,000, and soy was above 100,000 micrograms per 100 gram of the food. So those are the two food items that you really want to be aware. And the interesting thing, of course, because these these have some health benefits, and it gets tricky when you start looking at the science. Right. But what, what the interesting thing about it is, our gut bacteria can you know they can break down some of the these, these estrogenic, you know, compounds that are in flax and soy and neutralize it. So it gets, it gets kind of right. Confusing with the science because yeah, you get some, because we've been exposed to these food items for ages, right? Mm -hmm. Our ancestors have been exposed to these. So, you know, I personally stay away from soy. I even stay away from flax, which, you know, is a great source of DHA, omega-3, and a man, omega three is so healthy. You really need to get omega three, but you would suggest pref- doing it elsewhere. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, okay. I go for the algae if you're a vegetarian, or you know, a krill oil, that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. So phytoestrogens. Yeah, and and one other aspect that people don't think about is cannabis has a lot of phytoestrogen. Again, it's a similar thing where you can find a lot of studies, and there's a lot of positive health impacts from cannabinoids, but there are estrogenic aspects to it. Mm-hmm. And you, that's why you see some infertility and things in these teenagers that use, uh, you know, marijuana. And the other one, the other interesting one that really is shocking actually, and is, is lavender. So people breathing in lavender with these, uh, essential oils, rubbing them on their skin through their products. I mean, the new England journal of medicine has literature on this. They've done a study and they're specifically looking at gynecomastia, which is essentially right, man boobs. Breast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's 
it's contentious and there's not a lot of studies, unfortunately. In fact, a lot of the essential oils, there's really, unfortunately, not a lot of good scientific research because a lot of them are healthy. Mm-hmm. But lavender is the one that I'd really be careful with because the evidence to me suggests that it's pretty strongly estrogenic. And yeah, there's health benefits there. Like it's, for example, it's anti-inflammatory, but you know, do you want to throw off your estrogen balance? Eh, you know, it's, it's something to consider at least. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that this list is going to get scarier. <laughs> Actually, I know True. it is because I've seen it. Um, okay. So we've got those. What, what's number two? So number two is mycoestrogen. So that means mold estrogen. And, 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 and that one, you know, historically it wasn't a big issue because we didn't have such moldy food, I don't think. But now we've got these bigger and bigger grain facilities. We're storing, you know, grains, for, for especially the grains, you see this, in these huge silos. And we have this quote-unquote acceptable amount of mold and mycoestrogen means mold estrogen. So it's literally chemicals that mold secrete and they act like estrogen in our body. In fact, there's, it's not chemicals. It's just one chemical. It's called xerolenone. It's Z-E-A, xerolenone. And it's really toxic. I mean, scientists call it immunotoxic. They call it a reproductive toxicant. And all of these, I mean, you know, it's always, it's toxic because it alters your natural estrogen. Okay. So, that's mycoestrogen. And I was, I was doing a podcast with, a year, you know, with Ben Coomber over in the UK. And it's interesting because I had to do some research on England, and they regulate mycoestrogen. They, only allow, they have certain allow, allowable limits. So, like, for example, in human grains, like cereals and things, they only allow a certain amount, like 20 mg per kilogram. And then in cattle feed, the stuff like the, the corn they feed their cows or whatever – they allow like 350 milligrams per kilogram or something, right? Mm-hmm. 350. But if that if if you exceed those limits of mycoestrogen, they ship the grain over to the United States. Oh, we and, get the leftovers. And it, they don't have we don't have any regulation. We could have thousands of milligrams per kilogram of xerolenone of mycoestrogen, which is really unfortunate. And I don't yeah. want to jump ahead, but the U.S. kind of does a crappy job of regulating a lot of these estrogens. Yeah, that's true. And, and I made a big point of that in my book because, you know, that was something that jumped out at me as I started researching this. You know, it's like you said, we don't want to jump ahead, but BPA is a good example. Phthalates are a good example. Even China regulates phthalates more carefully than we do in America. Uh-huh. A lot of these sunscreen compounds we're going to we're coming up on. It's it's unbelievable. A lot of them are, frankly, well, let's talk about atrazine. OK, so number three on the list is atrazine and that's a herbicide that's the second most used herbicide in america after Mm -hmm. glyphosate after roundup and uh, i mean we use just hundreds of millions of pounds per year it's insane and it's estrogenic it acts like estrogen in your body artificial estrogen obviously it's it's a chemical it's a man-made chemical we've never been exposed to that one Mm -hmm. and it's totally illegal in europe zero is the elite you know is the legal allowable (laughs) And, and here in America, we have like, th- it's, it's 3,000 nanograms per liter is the allowable limit in your drinking water. Whoa. And again, that's why the context, <laughs> yeah, that's why it's important as a, in, 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 in the context of your natural estrogen, right? We're like under 400, men are 20, right? right? And then you talk about 3,000 with atrazine and literally uh, 200 nanograms per liter causes reproductive abnormalities in frogs. So you literally crash out frog populations when you start going above 200. And I mean, people are drinking this stuff, especially in the Midwest. You don't see it so much in cities like New York City or, you know, Atlanta, probably or whatever. But as soon as you get outside of the cities, and of course, that causes some discrepancy among the scientists because they do a study and they say, oh, there's no atrazine. But then if you go to middle of nowhere, Iowa, and you do a study, yeah, there's really high levels of atrazine. So, you know, you always have to think of the context of where the experiment was done and they're spraying it sometimes on golf courses and on lawns, especially down south. So that's really a lot of crazy. Factors. My husband's it's... in Iowa right this minute. You just oh, yeah. in Iowa. <laughs> Don't drink the water. No, I'm just well, kidding. Well, yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and just, just so people know right off the bat, you can filter this out. You can filter atrazine. You can literally filter all of these uh, as artificial estrogen chemicals by using activated charcoal. That's the key with the filters. You have to use you know, activated charcoal. And that I've done, I've literally used that in lab experiments. I've published peer reviewed papers using activated charcoal, pulling out fatty acids and, 
you know, other hormones. And that's what it does. It, it, it grabs onto hydrophobic molecules. So molecules that act like oil or things that float on water, uh-huh. activated charcoal grabs those out. And, <clears throat> and estrogen is like that, right? Like, okay. <clears throat> like so you're estrogen. not just doomsday. You've got some solutions for us. <laughs> yeah. And that's an easy one. Yeah. It's simple. It's super easy. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. I mean, I should probably say too that estro- natural estrogen, natural testosterone, both of those things, they go around in your blood, right? They they act like I mean they're literally physically like oil. So they float on water, but your blood is like water. It's aqueous. It's watery, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this interesting uh, protein called SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, that transports these hormones throughout your blood just mm-hmm. to get them around. I call it the limo service of the hormones, <laughs> the sex hormone, right? Because it has to kind of get in there and go around your blood. And then when you want your body needs it, it has to come out. And that's called free testosterone or free estrogen. Uh-huh. But a lot of these artificial estrogens, they disrupt that system and they drop your testosterone. And that's another problem you see consistently is, hist- you know, our, our testosterone is just unbelievable these days. Huh. And, you know, we've caught, we, of course, normalize it. And in, in medical community, they say, oh, you're in the normal range and you go in there. But, you know, that's the normal ranges are based on all these unhealthy Americans. Right, right. That's so why you it's, don't want to be normal. <laughs> yeah, it's pro- it's a problem. Yeah. Okay, so what's number four? <laughs> so number four is triclosan okay. and alkylphenols, and I call those the soap estrogenics. So it's it's artificial estrogen chemicals, man-made chemicals that are commonly found in soap. And so I real I'm really careful about that when I buy soap, and. Uh, you know, alco- the trouble with alkyl phenols, besides the fact that the name is kind of hard to pronounce mm-hmm. for people and it's spelled funny, uh, is that they don't have to put that on the label. So, you know, I actually, I actually on my website, ajconsultingcompany.com, if you go there and you say ajconsultingcompany.com slash what I use, all uh-huh. one word, I actually list out which products that I personally use. I don't oh, get any cool. financial. Yeah, I don't, I don't make any money off of any of it. But a lot of people ask me, well, what do you use, right? But well, I specifically look for alkylphenol-free soap. But, you know, it's hard to remember all these things because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. You know, after a while, it's like, well, this free, that free, that, you know, the other. Right. And I actually tell, I, I, I want to see companies just use estrogenic free on their labels rather than, you know, 10 things that it's free of. Right. I just want to see estrogenic free because that means all of these artificial estrogens are not in these personal care products. But the other, the thing about triclosan, so the two soap estrogenics, triclosan and alkylphenols, triclosan has actually been made illegal now, but it has, but it's still, you still find it. And it's, it's one of these things where it's, it's illegal, but companies don't have to implement that until I think next year. Uh And, And the reason it's illegal is because newer studies have just come out that show it's just so toxic to your reproductive system and all this. I mean, people go in their, in their kitchen or whatever, and they check their soap ingredients and boom, triclosan. It's, it's unbelievably ubiquitous. Wow. So that's just, triclosan is on the ingredient list. That one, at least they have to put it on there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, wait, what was the other thing you said? Triclosan and... and well, alkyl phenols, but okay. you don't see that. On, I mean, that's a chemical that it's... You know, it's just made, I don't know, it's it's cheap, so they throw it in there. So I, I think with the soap, I got the Honest Company soap. Okay, yeah. And it's a little bit expensive, but I actually use their dish soap frequently as hand soap because it's so good. Uh-huh. <laughs> because it's cheap, but you can buy these huge things of dish soap, <laughs> and it's not as harsh as your standard, di- you know, people think of dish soap, and they think of really harsh chemicals, and it usually is. But with the Honest Company, they make one that's, I don't know. It works for me. It works for my kids. I've got three kids. It works for my wife. So, and I never use lotion. So that's something. <laughs> oh, let's talk about lotion. Is this the the bucket that lotion falls under, or is that coming? No, because uh, lotion's not so. That's coming. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's lotion. coming. We'll, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because that's where I'm going to be scared. Okay. What's well, next? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, then, so, so the next one is really important for parents to know because, especially today, it's unbelievable. I. I live within walking distance of a swimming pool in, in Boston, or I, I did. I just moved to Minnesota but because oh. um, my family's from Minnesota, my wife's family. But we were going swimming every day you know, at the pool all summer long. And these parents, man, they put on tons of sunscreen. And the kids will be out there for 20 minutes, and then they go. And you know, 
my kids can go out for 45 minutes, no big deal, no issue, especially because they have a shade, a sunshade thing at this particular swimming pool. But the sunscreen estrogenics, that's the next one. Number five on the list, okay. sunscreen, are the artificial estrogens they put in sunscreen are, are benzophenone and 4-methylbenzaldine camphor. Okay. And I know those are crazy terms, but that's just the reality. I mean, that's what you find on the labels. Mm-hmm. And by the way, oxy, you see, sometimes you see oxybenzone. And some of these derivatives, those are all benzophenones. And by the way, they're illegal in Europe, right? Okay. So they're estrogenic. I mean, they act like estrogen on our body. And some people would would consider that not a big deal, but it goes through your skin. You know, you're, just because you're rubbing it on the external part of your body, these artificial estrogens, they 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 transverse through your skin. So how, what are the, and you may not have this off the top of your head, but like, what are the numbers on the, the, the sunscreen? Cause you said soy was like 3000 or maybe I got the numbers yeah. wrong, but like, what's the number on the sunscreen? Is it worse than like soy or? It's a good question. I mean, yeah, I, I actually don't know off the top of okay, my head, <laughs> but no, no, it's a good question. But the thing is, is people rub on different amounts and, yeah. you know, in terms of how much you're rubbing on your skin. And the other aspect about benzophenone is they use it in plastic frequently to prevent the plastic from uh, UV, ultraviolet degradation. So they want to protect it in the sun. And you can smell it. I mean, that's one of the things is the new the new car smell is, you know, plastics, which are coming up on this list, and benzophenone, which is, and they've done studies, science, but even there, you know, they say, they say the levels are concerning, the levels that we're breathing in, but they don't even quantify it, even in the studies that are out there. Because it's like, well, how much are you breathing in? How long are you sitting in your car? You know, if you're sleeping in your car and you've got a brand new car, you know, how frequent is that happening, right? Nobody's right. <laughs> buying a brand new car and then they're sleeping. But but if you were, that that would be a more serious problem than if you were just driving for half an hour somewhere in a brand new car. Right. But irregardless, you at least scientists are looking at the air, just the air, and they're finding a lot of benzophenone. But wow. the sunscreen, I mean, come on, you know, like people shouldn't be rubbing on this. And and the the kind of the solution to that is zinc sunscreen. Get twenty percent zinc, you know, something like that. Okay. And you know, that's a natural essential mineral and it blocks the sun and, and you're not putting artificial estrogen and you, but you do want to make sure because sometimes you find a zinc sunscreen and it's got benzophenone. Right. Right. So you got to make sure those ones aren't on the ingredient list, as cumbersome as the names are. <laughs> Do you have a sunscreen on your What I Use webpage? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. In fact, I even have one that they've even got zinc sunscreens now. You can spray. Oh, right. See, so you got to shake. Nice. Got to shake. Yeah, because apparently, I had some parents tell me that I've never experienced this, but I've had parents tell me that certain schools. Uh, and by the way, I homeschool, so, so I don't have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And I was homeschooled as well. But uh, certain schools, I guess, they require you to, on certain field trips or whatever, yeah. they require you to bring spray sunscreen. So yes. not only you know, do you have to bring sunscreen, but they make you bring the spray stuff. And so thankfully, you can find decent ones now. And I've actually tested these products. I've bought, I've bought of course, like 20 different ones. And some, some of these zinc sunscreens, they don't work for some reason. And I burn really easy. I mean, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if I'm swimming and you know, right. and getting in the water. And you, and I know your your listeners. I mean, shoot, yeah, you guys are I mean, getting this water is a all big the- one. This is a big sunscreen is a big one, and and I can attest to the fact that field trips require the spray sunscreen. And I remember sitting in the drugstore last summer looking at all the trash sunscreens and thinking, yeah. I have to put this on my kids because it's yeah. like. Okay, I didn't know we were talking about estrogenics, but it's like I got to put this trash on them, or they get skin cancer. You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's great that there's a there's a choice now. That's really great news. Yeah, and I mean, it's you know, I'm not like a super expert, but as soon as I find and and people ask me about my list right on my website, like I say, it's just what I use. It's just mm-hmm. ajconsultingcompany.com. And I'll post, I'll post the link up too. Oh yeah, thanks, thanks. And and people, you know, they say, well, what about this one? And what about that? It's like, well. I haven't tested them all. This isn't like my full-time job, but I have <laughs> tested a lot of them and these are the ones I use and they work for me, right? Yeah. So I'm not, you know, it, my list is not exhaustive by any stretch. It's people especially ask me about soaps and they say, well, what about this soap? And what about that? It's like, you know, and I'll just keep telling people, look, this is what I use. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's also a certain level of personal responsibility too. I mean, you're yeah. providing information and you're telling what estrogenics to avoid. And if it's not on the label, then you go try it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And report yeah. back. Let us know. Yeah. 
And but but like you say, I mean, you're putting this when you're putting it on the kids. I mean, children have a lot more sensitive, you know, hormone balance that you can throw off fairly easily. And it's and it you know we've got to at some point once we get through this list, we also have to talk about epigenetics yeah. and kind of some of the longer term ramifications because this isn't just like you know, oh, tomorrow you're going to have allergies and they're going to go away or something like that, right? right? Like right. this stuff sometimes manifests itself across generations. And that's why my book is titled, uh, you know, the way it is, I mean, it's a tricky title for people to pronounce, but estrogeneration, estrogen uh, can affect, and artificial estrogen affects future generations. But what, like I say, I'm jumping ahead a little bit there, but. That's okay. You're allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, so that's benzophenone and 4-methylbenzylene camphor. And, and by the way, just on the sunscreen ones, you know, uh, a lot of these, like I say, there's derivatives of benzophenone like oxybenzone and a number of other ones. And if you see the letters B-E-N-Z, like benz, yeah. Yeah. frequently those chemicals are estrogenic. So that's, you know, just as a, chem, as a biochemist, mm-hmm. you know, you can, a lot of people, like scientists, we look at that and we say, yeah, that's probably going to act on the estrogen receptor. And I kind of go through that in my book just, just to give people a sense because, you know, if you're like you, you guys swim almost every day. Most people don't. Most people don't need to use sunscreen quite as frequently. But if you, if you use it all the time, you really want to be more careful. Good to know. <clears throat> yep. Okay. So okay. what's next on the list? Uh, so number six on the list is red food coloring, artificial red food coloring. So not, not like beet juice extract or something like that, but right. red number three and red number 40 are artificial estrogens. And you find them all the time. And, you know, our processed food industry today, they're putting it into even, even they they even, you even find red food coloring in salmon fillets sometimes. So yes. you got to, is that when watch. it says color enhanced by f- feed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. I mean, in the farm race stuff, that's the red stuff is going into the feed, right? Yeah, and they're putting it in vitamins and pharmaceuticals, like pill, like ibuprofen's got it. <laughs> Holy crap! Okay. Yeah, and 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 and, and you know, it, it's been okay. So red number three, it's been brought before the FDA by scientists over twenty times. I think it's twenty six times now, and they to, to request that it be made illegal, and they just keep shooting it down. And people oftentimes ask me about that. I wrote a whole chapter about it in my book because. You know, I'm an insider. I'm a scientist. I publish peer-reviewed papers. And there's there's kind of a lot of, I don't want to say dishonesty. I mean, there's a lot of great scientists, but there's a lot of spin and bias on the science. And I wrote a whole chapter on it because, you know, I see it. And that's a huge kind of component of this whole bigger picture here we're talking about with all these artificial estrogens. Like, why are these legal, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and so I wrote a chapter, and in fact, I thought the editors were going to cut the chapter out because it's not really about artificial estrogen and you know the health problems and the solutions. But almost all my editors said that's this is my favorite chapter. This stuff about spin and bias uh-huh. because uh-huh. because they've never heard any of that. And I'll just give you one quick example on that. Uh, for example, right? So I've published peer-reviewed papers, and when you send them in, when you submit them on the internet. Now it's all online, right? The submission process. So you write a scientific, you do a bunch of experiments, you create a paper and you submit it online. When you're submitting it, you as the author have to literally tell the, the publishing company, the, you know, the journal, the scientific journal, which peer reviewers you want to review your paper. Oh. <laughs> so you have to literally pick five. You can't even put the application in without telling them who should review your paper. So, you, you know, as as kind of a newer scientist, you're not going to have as many political connections and getting published is a little bit more hit or miss. But as you become more politically established as a scientist, which is unfortunate, right? It shouldn't be a game of politics, but it becomes that, uh, you know, you've got a network, a national network, because you're going to all these conferences all the time, by the way, which is paid for by government grants. Right. And so, you know, you create this network of friends that are like-minded in your industry and you can really publish you know, some pretty, you know, <laughs> some pretty biased thoughts and in, in peer-reviewed scientific journals. And this especially happens when there's uh, products like corporate products like soy mm-hmm. or like, you know, like, well, all, almost all of these, right? Right. <laughs> I, mean, right. I mean, everything we're talking, atrazine, this herbicide, even mycoestrogen with the mold, you know, it, it's, 
the grain industry is involved in that. So there's there's products on the line, and you find a lot of bias. In fact, the New England Journal of Medicine chief editor for over 20 years. Her name is Marsha Angel, and that's Angel with two L's. And I, I have this in my book, but um, she she stepped down. She she literally left the New England Journal because the corporate influence on the science. And this is the world's most prestigious medical journal, New England Journal of Medicine. She she left because it was just getting too uncomfortable for her because people are essentially spinning the science. Wow, that's really unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, you know, when people are when good scientists are resigning from high positions in medical journals and those are the kind of people you want in the medical journals. You know, the ones that are that have ethical right right that are considering <laughs> the ethics and really trying to publish good science without the bias. Right. So, it's too bad, but, you know. So the next one on the list, I should probably jump down to so we talked red food coloring and then the next one is parabens number 7. Uh-huh. And here's where we get into the fragrances and the and the yeah. personal care products. So parabens, I call them the fragrance estrogenics because, you know, companies are allowed to put the word fragrance on their shampoo or on their lotion or whatever on their soap and even, even on their frag, even on their perfumes or colognes. And they put a lot of parabens in there and they don't have to list that on the label because it's considered proprietary, like part of their secret formula that they don't have to reveal. And it's an artificial estrogen. It's not healthy. It's, you know, it's, wow. and it's, it's true. In fact, they even put parabens in foods as a preservative because nothing will survive when there's parabens, you know? So they put them in corn tortillas and things. A lot of times when I, I meet people and talk about this, I bring a package of corn tortillas, which I would never eat, you know, because you look on the ingredients and we've got methyl paraben, you've got propyl paraben, you've got butyl paraben. So there's a lot of them. So it gets complicated. You know, if you look at one science paper and it says parabens are only barely estrogenic or weakly estrogenic, it's like, well, yeah, because there's so many different varieties, you can find a few that, you know, don't act that strongly on the estrogen receptor. They still do, but they don't act that strongly. But then you can look at other ones and they act extremely strongly and significantly. And, you know, you've got to look for paraben-free fragrances, shampoos, all that stuff, deodorant. So, I mean, I can deal without my corn tortillas, but I really struggle with this one because, you know, you find your perfume that you love, you find your yeah. whatever. I mean, but this is... This is a major concern. Now do all, like, for example, any fragrance you go to, you go to Macy's, you walk into the store, all the whole fragrance section, you're hosed. I mean, pretty much. So what what I say in my book is you can spray this stuff on your clothing. If you, you know, if you're just going to get, if you, like you say, you know, if you're committed to something, (laughs) I, I wouldn't put it on my underarms or something like directly on my skin, but I'm okay with people putting it on their clothing, you know, with, with, with the recognition that there's probably parabens, almost all of it has parabens. And the reason is number one, it's cheap. So that's an obvious reason. But number two, it actually carries the fragrance further Mm -hmm. in the air. So you can smell it from an extra foot away or whatever. And that's a big advantage for, you know, that's one of the criteria when they're designing these things as chemists, they've got professional chemists on there. And so <clears throat> and in fact, the crazy thing is they actually put phthalates, which are next on the list, mm-hmm. uh, in fragrances. And you can look it up. I mean, the FDA has a whole list of products where they've got phthalates and you know, in the fragrances. Not all of them. Like parabens, it's pretty much all of them, like you said. <laughs> oh, such a bummer. Yeah. But what about yeah. the people around you? So you can spray it on your clothes, but are you hurting the people around you who are breathing it? <laughs> Well, maybe if you're in a confined area or especially like if you're with your children, like a baby all day long and the babies, I mean, there's no question, you know, using perfume changes the hormones in babies. They've done a lot of studies. In fact, and even, even when the babies are in the womb. So like I said, some of the fragrance even has phthalates, which is insane because that's a plastic plastic. Yeah. So it's a plastic additive. So they put phthalates and it's P H T H by the way, it's a goofy spelling. But that's just it's just a chemistry comp chemical. <clears throat> and they put it in plastics as an additive to kind of change or improve the properties of plastic. So make it more flexible or more mm-hmm. clear or more visually attractive to consumers. And then it's more unhealthy to the same consumers that are buying it. But 
<clears throat> they also put it in perfumes. And they've done a study, for example, in it was published in Nature, and they showed that women who use perfume, pregnant women, they just looked at pregnant women because they were concerned about the you know the fetus, and 167 percent increase in phthalates in pregnant women's urine when they when they use perfume. Doesn't matter which they just kind of looked at anybody who used perfume versus women that don't. So even phthalates, I mean, that's not even looking at parabens. Wow. And phthalate, I mean, scientists are just adamant about how bad phthalates are for you. It's unbelievable. Okay. And, and 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 they're bad for the environment. I mean, they're bad for animals. We talked about frogs before with <clears> the ad. <throat> I mean, it's not like this is all just human specific stuff, too, because polar bears, right? Literally. They've done studies, which is you'd think is nuts, but they literally had 11 polar bears in, in northern Alaska, and they found high levels of parabens in the polar bears. Oh, the poor bears. Why do I feel worse about yeah. the bears than the pregnant women? Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's something wrong with me. <laughs> well, I mean, they found it in the whale blubber. Yeah, so it's and, everywhere. And essentially, yeah, it's getting into our ocean currents, yeah. and yeah. they're circulating around the globe, right, and just working up the food chains. So... You know, it's difficult because most of these artificial ones, uh, these artificial estrogens, they don't break down. You know, I have some of the studies in my book, but they're specifically designed to, you know, to last a long time, have a long shelf life. Mm -hmm. You know, atrazine, for example, we talked about way back at number three on the list, that herbicide that, you know, they've done studies and they put it in the dirt. Right. So there's bacteria. So it should break down. It's it's going to break down a lot more rapidly. And it was pretty hot. It was like 80. They tested 80 degree dirt. They looked at red dirt, black dirt and brown dirt, I think, like clay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was unbelievable. The half life was basically it was just under one year, a half life in dirt. And that's and that's atrazine. I mean, you talk about birth control and you look at you find it even even lasts longer in the water supply. And some of these, you know, and that's coming up on the list too. That's number, that's one of the next items. And, you know, people are urinating that out. It doesn't break down in your body. And of course they're taking that one. Doctors are prescribing that one, uh, birth control. And the active ingredient is called ethenyl estradiol. It's usually 17 alpha ethenyl estradiol. And scientists just call it EE2. And it ends up in the drinking water at crazy high levels frequently. I mean, Massachusetts, for example, uh, it has... 300 times, like there's a river coming in south of Boston, 300 times the European Union safety limit, birth control. And it's, it's destroying the, the, the reproduction from fish, from the lo- even the lobsters in that area in the ocean. And I mean, that's why they're doing the study there, but people are drinking it and, you know, there's health impacts. Wow. wow. Okay, yeah. so, okay, so what number are we? Eight? Are we already yeah, eight? Yeah, I jumped ahead a little bit. So, so yeah, number eight is phthalates. And again, that one is in plastics. And I mean, phthalates, you know, people, okay, so well, so, so let me do nine too. I'll throw number nine in there and then we'll just, t- that'll be the end of the list because I talked about birth control is number 10, but number nine is BPA mm-hmm. and that's actually a plastic ingredient. So it, plastic, like it's, it's made up of, sometimes it's made up of BPA, although they've gotten better about, people have gotten better about going BPA free. Whereas phthalates are, like I say, they're like an additive. It's kind of like salt or something. It's not the main ingredient, but it's added to change the properties. Okay. Um, and, you know, they've made BPA illegal. Certain states have jumped in now because it's so bad for people and, and the environment. And the problem is, so that I think there's 17 states. So the federal government hasn't done anything, unfortunately. But the states are jumping in and making it illegal. But then what happens is these companies... So bisphenol A is what BPA stands for, mm-hmm. but then they change it to bisphenol S, okay, BPS, which is literally at least as bad, and I've got publications to prove that in my book, and and there's other analogs. You can make all kinds of BP whatever letter, right? Right. And, and, and yeah, it's not BPA. Now it's BPS. So they can say it's BPA-free. Oh, jeez. I know. Now and, I'm getting mad. <laughs> well, even, even, I know. And even when you get away from the, the BPA, like say a company has honestly moved away from BPA, BPS, all of those analogs, all of those similar chemicals, there's frequently they still put phthalates in the plastic. So I just, I'm really careful about plastics. And, and 
you know, you don't want your stuff sitting in plastics for a long time, so duration. You certainly don't want to heat things in plastic, so temperature makes an important, you know, impact on these things. And, you know, uh, even just standard water bottles, right, from the grocery store. So you buy those 24 packs of water yeah. and those plastic things. Those have over 1,000 nanograms per liter of phthalates. And they've, they've done the study. And that's just water. So here's, here's one of the things I really, I, I really want people to get. Like I want, I want to get across to a lot of people because I think people listening to you, they're real healthy, especially endurance athletes. They eat a lot of fats. And that's great. That's awesome to, you know, to convert your body from a sugar-burning body, you know, the mm-hmm. modern American, to a fat-burning machine. But the problem, the, the difficulty at least, is that people are eating fats and they're stored in plastic and oils are even more prone to, you know, estrogenic leaching. You know, these artificial estrogens, they leach into the oil even more than they leach into the water because, you know, that's just the nature. That's just the right. chemical property of these things. And that's the importance of understanding that's, that these, you know, these chemicals act, they're hydrophobic, right? Like I yeah. kind of talked about at the beginning. And they float on water and they, you know, they have to get through your blood with this sex hormone binding SHBG, right? Uh-huh. So you got to be careful with the fats, and uh, you know. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I've noticed a lot of coconut oils and you know avocado oils and stuff are, are now, especially when you buy them from some of the healthier food chains, they're in glass. And that's right. you know, in the kitchen, you're like, oh, glass. But that that's yeah. awesome. And then yeah. you know, this just goes to my argument that everyone should just eat avocados. <laughs> yeah, 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 the real thing. Yeah, <laughs> I love avocados. I want everyone to love avocados. So that's oh, a really, sure. yeah. really valuable thing to walk away from. So like if anyone, the takeaways, just some very quick ones would be make sure your oils are in glass and don't drink bottled water that's been in a hot truck. That's right. <laughs> and I honestly, I, I would prefer people just get stainless steel and, you know, and, and glass whenever possible. I mean, yeah, you can use a plastic filter or something, but then get the water out of that plastic as soon as you can and put it in stainless. I know with endurance athletes, it's tricky and it's difficult. And it might be worth calling the company sometimes and saying, Hey, is this plastic have phthalates? Because they know, and they'll tell you and phthalates, you know, if it's BPA free and assuming the company is not being dishonest and just switching over to BPS, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, the phthalates are something you really want to watch out for. I even, I have a big block quote in my book written by scientists, professional scientists that studied phthalates. And it's so unbelievable, the, the health problems, you know, that these, I mean, and, and, and I call, so I, I have this thing I call the estrogenic paradox. And it's, it's essentially that artificial estrogens cause weight gains. They cause fat. And by the way, that's because, you know, if, if a woman is pregnant, she needs a little bit more fat reserve because fat is such an efficient form of energy it's good for you to have some fat and to be able to burn that in case of an emergency, right? Especially ancestrally, if you think about our ancestors, they needed some fat storage, especially when they were pregnant, because that baby, you know, you don't want to starve your, your fetus. Right. Um, so natural, increasing natural estrogen levels increases a little bit of fat. And, you know, all these artificial estrogens, they also increase weight gains, they increase fat storage, and it's through a protein called PPAR gamma, but that's a little bit technical. I mean, scientists know exactly how it happens, but they also store in your fat, right? So that's the estrogenic paradox, is that they cause fat, and they stay in there. They store in the fat, and that's why you can study whales, and you find it in the whale blubber and all this stuff, and fat cells can survive uh, 10 years. They've done recent, recent studies, and they show the average lifespan of a fat cell is about a year and a half, but it can last all the way up to 10 years. And so you want to, you know, you want to be able to detox yourself from these artificial estrogens, get off the exposures. That's the biggest thing, right? Just stop, you know, rubbing those benzophenone sunscreens on your skin and using right. these paraben fragrances. I mean, people putting soap, I've seen red 40 in bar soap, you know, which is nuts. I mean, people are putting, rubbing it on their entire surface area. Well, and, and it's probably, probably really prevalent in kid stuff and things that are yeah. attractive yeah, yeah. to children, right? Yeah, the marketing. Yeah, even finger paints, right? I avoid the red oh. finger paints. I mean, it's just it's a weird it's a weird culture we live in with these yeah. chemicals. So, so do so, you know off the top of your head if there's any water bottle companies that um that are I mean, is it 
you know, I'm thinking about endurance athletes and, and cyclists and we have yeah. Yeah. plastic bottles on our bikes. And yeah. are there any water bottle companies that you know of that are safe? I mean, I, I don't, but I'm not a super expert in that. Yeah. I Like I say, for me, I, I actually just ran 10 miles yesterday. I go on fairly reasonable jogs <laughs> and I'm not breaking any records. I'm, I'm pretty slow and stuff. I'm actually a sprinter, but I try and enhance my mitochondria and stuff sometimes. Right. <laughs> and I, I literally... <laughs> and I'm trying to enhance my mitochondria. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I actually carried, I literally carried a stainless... I mean, I don't drink that much water. People, I think the whole water thing gets way overblown. Like, oh, you need to drink so much water. And I mean, you're, I think you can trust your body to tell you how much to drink. And And I just carry a little stainless steel water bottle with me. I don't have one of those belts because I'm not... You know, so I'm not, such, I'm not so extreme about it. And, and, you know, I just carry it in my hand and it's cumbersome, but stainless steel works for me. Yeah. And I mean, a triathlete, you know, if, if I was training for a triathlon, I would probably have checkpoints where I had water stored. Yeah. And then on the actual competition, use plastic. It's not that big of a deal. Once in a while. I mean, okay. that's the main focus with my top 10 list is these everyday exposures, right? And they're additive. So like... You've got some phyto, you're, you're eating soy, and then you've got grains with mycoestrogen, and then you've got atrazine, right? You, you start adding all of these together every day, and they all are acting on the same estrogen receptor at these really high levels. I mean, yeah, of course you're going to see health problems. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the everyday exposure stuff is where people can really make a positive impact on their health. And, and by the way, epigenetics, right? I, I alluded to it at the beginning. Um, I want to make sure I get something in there on that because... That's the scary part. That's why I wrote the book. I gave a talk in Florida about this, a scientific talk at a conference, and about the epigenetic problems with artificial estrogens. And what that means, okay, so it, it, epigenetics just means marks on your DNA. Okay. So, you know, you, you can inherit, obviously, people, you pass on your DNA, and that's like musical notes, right? So if you have Mary Had a Little Lamb or something on, written on a, on a sheet of music, it's just single notes, like, dit, 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 right? Right. And th- those are black. And you can pass those notes on to somebody else who plays music, and they can play the same song, just a really simple song. And that's like your DNA, right? You pass that on. But epigenetics would be like chords or like, mark, like notes on top of those notes. So it's the same song, right? The DNA doesn't change. But then you've got more complexity, more beauty, right? More variation, more information, mm-hmm. right? As a scientist, I mean, that's what we're interested in. And there's so much information. And your body, it doesn't want to forget that information. That's valuable. Like all of these, like how you exercised in your life, that's passed on to your kids through epigenetics, right? I mean, these marks on top of your DNA get passed on. How you sleep, right? How you eat. Like that, that's valuable information for future generations. And that doesn't get lost. That doesn't just kind of go into a vacuum. That gets passed on, and these artificial chemicals, I mean, that's where, the, like I say, the real problems are with these is they're passed on. They're, art, they're altering our epigenetics. Wow. Yeah. So. I'm scared. I don't want to go anywhere or do anything. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, people have been saying whole foods, right? For, for quite a while now, I think the whole food diet, you know, where you get away from the processed foods because yeah, they sneak yeah. a lot of that. That's where you find a lot of it. So people, a lot of, a lot of people that are serious about their health, they're already doing the right things. Mm-hmm. Some of the additional things are, would be like, don't use industrial candles, right? Like get a decent can. I mean, there's, uh, you know, avoid canned metal foods because a lot of times they coat the inside of the metal cans with BPA. Wait, wait, wait. Now we're on canned metal foods? Like yeah. tuna, like tuna fish. I don't know if they do it on tuna so much because it doesn't get that metallic taste, but they do it with like soups and these things where they combine a bunch of things. Okay, how do you know? How, is it I on don't. The can? Yeah. You don't know. Well, like for example, Trader Joe's. Yeah. They, they've come out and they they're really good about not using BPA metal cans, but most companies it's pretty hit or miss, and you can't you don't know. Oh my um, goodness. But yeah, BPA, I mean, that's where you find it now, you know, because nobody thinks about it. And they spray it on the inside of these metal cans because otherwise it tastes like metal. You know, you open your soup and it's it's got all these like salts and all these other things to try and disguise those chemicals. But you can, if you're, you know, if you've been eating whole foods and you go back and eat some of that processed stuff, you start tasting those chemicals. And I mean, the other aspect here is that, you know, ancestrally, our ancestors 
never needed to develop taste buds for these artificial chemicals because right they never it it, it they weren't they didn't exist right. i mean they're not found in nature and so you know unfortunately we don't taste phthalates right yeah. or bpa or whatever i mean maybe a little bit of a chemical flavor but i mean you know relative to how bad they are for our health it should be this horrible bitter flavor or you know overpowering chemical but because our bodies have never been exposed to it it's so it's subtle and we don't even notice it unfortunately yeah and and the scientists aren't picking it up sometimes and they are now and that's why i wrote this book and i mean the cutting edge scientists are finding the health problems but it's in future generations or it's it's later in your years right i mean breast cancer it takes a lot of years to come out and breast cancer, by the way, is up 250% globally. Some of the countries, it's up 500%, like the Philippines and these countries where they're bringing in all these new industrial products. Mm-hmm. And I mean, th- there's a reason for that. And, you know, it's... It makes it's, me it's, so mad. Like when you, yeah. you know, I consider myself someone who's worked really hard to like try and learn about health and nutrition and to educate my audience where I can And, you know, I told this on another podcast, but my husband took the kids grocery shopping and he was trying to find a ketchup that, you know, was a, was healthy. And they were so proud because they picked it out, they brought it home and then it had artificial sweetener in it. Happens to me. And and it's just like, you know, you're doing the best you can. And then like you say, okay, the inside of my healthy organic beans are now sprayed with BPA. (laughs) The cans, right? You know, it's like. We yeah. as a population are getting hosed here when we're yeah. trying to do the best that we can. And man, it makes me mad. I know it makes you mad because you even know more like a billion times, a billion whatever per units more than I do. <laughs> I, know. I know. I know. Well, it's it's funny because I used to raise cows when I grew up in high school. My dad's a medical doctor, but he had some land. And I and I said, hey, dad, can I fence this land in and, and, and have cows, right? <laughs> right. Because everybody <laughs> and, and I does just, that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's normal. No, but I, uh, I, I did that. I, I was just purely trying to make money, right? Because you buy a three hundred dollar baby cow, and it's right. really fun, and and then you just auction it later when it's a thousand pounds or two thousand. But now, you know, with my kids, I'm literally thinking about getting back into raising cows and butchering them myself. All this stuff, you know, like raising my own, having a big garden, which I don't have right now, unfortunately, right. but. I mean, expanding my garden specifically so I have control over this, putting food in glass, you know, like canning jars in glass. Right. I mean, our ancestors, you know, recent, not even ancestors, just like recent generations did this. Mm-hmm. And true. and it's it's really sad that we've gotten so, quote unquote, efficient and lost sight of kind of the long-term ramifications because it's hard to pick those up in a scientific study, right? I mean, the scientists are looking for changes within a week, you know, changes within a month. They almost never look at long-term health problems with these chemicals. And in fact, a lot of these chemicals are barely, barely studied. You know, I mean, even, even the, you know, uh, the, the essence, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm blanking on, you know, the lavender, like the essential essential oils, Like, like the essential oils, even, even those are barely studied. And there's so many positive things that I want to know about, right? Like you probably want to know about, it's like, what can we do to improve our health. It's not like we don't want to just find out about the bad things. We want to find out about the good, the good things that we should be exposing ourselves to and eating. Yeah. And, and the studies aren't being done over the long term. So part of, um, one of your roles is you're the president of the international medical research collaborative, and that's a nonprofit that trains medical students around the globe. And so what is your role? Uh, what is the role of estrogenics in the way that you guys are looking at training medical students coming up? Well, so we bring them in from other countries and, you know, so in other words, like there's all these, and, and right now in America, one in four doctors are not even born in America. Mm-hmm. So a lot of doctors are coming in and there's kind of some problems with our system as it stands. I mean, obviously there's problems in the medical school in terms of diet and training people to, to be preventative, right? I mean, right. it's just ridiculous. My dad's a doctor, like I said, he's from, he graduated from the Mayo Clinic. My brother's a doctor. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been in science long enough and Western medicine, the stuff that these guys are trained in, it's awesome for surgeries and acute health problems, but it's terrible for preventative, you know, like long-term 
chronic health problems. Well, that's what I had Dr. Michael Greger on a couple episodes ago, and he he said something like it's 10% of all medical schools in our country even train the physicians on nutrition. 10%. Yeah, it's it's oh yeah, it's insane, and and they don't have time to tell the patients, and yeah. you know it's hard to say if the patients would even listen. But you know that's beside the point. They need to be trained about this, and yeah, it's I mean the science is there, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's not like they can say you know it's debatable or whatever. Like the calorie counting stuff is just ridiculous, right? So so I try. I've been shifting more and more towards the the preventative medicine. I'm even thinking about getting more, like learning some more about functional medicine. I have a lot of respect for that and the power of that stuff. Sure. I mean, I do DNA, I do DNA analysis. So that that's all about preventative stuff, like preventing people from, you know, like looking at your DNA and saying, how do you detox? Like, how are your detox enzymes? You've got about 58 enzymes. Let's look at those. You know, like what things should you avoid that are more personalized to you? Yeah. And, uh, I want you to analyze my DNA. You should do mine, and then we can talk about it on the show. That would be <laughs> awesome. Be like, yeah. you're hopeless. You have bad, no, bad, no. bad DNA. <laughs> no, not you were made all. of phylites. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's always it's, it's always unique, so it's always interesting. And I can use the 23andMe data. I mean, the 23andMe data is more powerful than people give it credit for because they're looking at your genes. You know, we have 25,000 genes. So, yeah, I mean, your whole DNA sequence is four, it's like three or four billion base pairs. But we don't know, as scientists, we don't know hardly anything about all those billions of base pairs, but we know a lot about the 25,000 genes. And that that information can be tapped into just with 23andMe. And, and that's just like spitting in a tube. And they give you thousands of pages of code, like ATGC, it's DNA code. And I can, yeah, I can uh, interpret that. That's and really like I say, cool. that's been my, that's been like my main, I've been shifting a lot more away from conventional medicine and more into, you know, I'm just recognizing the importance of preventative medicine, avoiding yeah. these chemicals and, and really improve. I mean, it, it's so much more powerful. So, um, did you totally geek out when they sequenced the human genome? Cause I'm married <laughs> to a PhD and that, I mean, there's oh, yeah. like three really exciting events in our lives. And I think that might be number one for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, in fact, I used to design viruses using DNA for the government. Uh-huh. And so I'm even like an excessively nerdy about DNA right. because, because you can actually, you know, you can create a sequence of DNA. You can cl- clip it together and put it in a human cell or any kind of cell in a dish. And the, the cells will make virus for you. Right. And, and you don't, it's, I'm not talking about bioterrorism. I'm talking about viruses that can be tested you know, to insert genes, to insert DNA into, into other cells or into animals or whatever, just to, to do experiments to test certain DNA, you know, the properties of genes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I've really been involved in DNA a, a long time. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so I feel like we could talk for two days. I mean, <laughs> there's funny. so much here. And, yeah. um, you know, I think... I think we should probably maybe touch base again because I think I can see a lot of questions coming out of this. Um, so yep. I definitely want to get your main takeaways. Um, I definitely want everyone to pick up a copy of your book and, and read for themselves, Estro Generation. But what are your, I mean, if you have the takeaways, it's look at these top 10 and yeah. avoid them as exactly. best you can. And if, and, like, and, yeah. and I was just going to say like in, I was thinking in terms of triathletes, you know, we, we use water bottles every day. I mean, the simple yep. things that we could do is use the, the glass or the stainless steel um, yep. in training. And then on race day, use your plastic bottles. And that would eliminate our risk by a huge amount and our, our exposure, right? It's I mean, yeah. It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing you can do is, I mean, well, you guys do an awesome job of sweating and heating up your body and moving, right? Which clears a lot of the stuff. But, you know, people that use saunas, they've done scientific studies now, which, you know, we've kind of intuitively know because heating increases molecular motion. So the molecules move faster, so they would be excreted faster, right? They get out of your blood, uh, out of your fat cells. So you can literally do sauna detoxing. You can, you know, I don't know, there's, besides just avoiding the artificial estrogens, I do have some other specific things in my book. (laughs) Okay. Very good. So you need to yeah. buy the book, everyone. 
That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the te- this is the teaser reel. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but I really appreciate you taking the time. This was really um, informative, but also just entertaining. You're, you're great to talk to. Um, uh, they can get the book on Amazon because I saw it. Okay. And wh- wh- your website is ajconsulting. <clears throat> is that a dot com? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So I, I will have, put up I have the, the top link 10. too. Yeah, I have the top 10 list on there for people, you know. That we've been talking about, um, yeah, that's probably the best place to find me because obviously my international nonprofit just pretty much caters to international medical mm-hmm. students and medical school. So okay, <laughs> don't don't go. I mean, don't go there if you're looking for this information. Right. Go to the AJ Consulting. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So um, one final question: this this podcast is called the same the same twenty four hours, and it's from the idea that we have the same twenty four hours in every day, and it's what we each individually do that makes the difference between our health and success. So what is it that you do every day that you can point to and say, that keeps me going. That's what keeps me successful. What is one of your daily habits? Yeah, I think, boy, (laughs) I like to stick y'all with it. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of things, right. That jump into my mind right away. But, and I think, I almost want to say efficiency, just like how you do things and prioritize things. But, you know, I think following your passions is probably more important because if you're really passionate about what you're doing and you're really, you know, following that, you know, what you're interested in, what, what your, you know, your passion, right? Yeah. Then, then the efficiency comes naturally because you prioritize things based on, you know, they just fall into place by themselves. So probably following your passion is, is probably the one thing that I don't know helps helps me, and I think it helps a lot of people. And it can, you know, if you think about it specifically and emphatically, you 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 perform better. Yeah, absolutely. It's the thing that keeps you awake, and that you can work twenty yeah. hours on during the day, and you look up and it's two a.m. and you don't know how yeah. it happened. I mean, I yeah. that's how I define it, and I think that's fantastic. Well, Dr. Anthony J, you guys, thank you so much for being here, and um, I hope. Now I need to just go throw out everything in my house. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. All good. Well, thank you again. Thank you. All right.